LL Nation, what's good? We just started doing our live show on Facebook as well. So I had to go ahead and start because they kick you out if you don't start by 9.09, which is uh, under the 10-minute mark. Facebook is tripping. LL Nation, what's good? Good morning to you. Hope you all are well. Malik will be along in a few seconds. Today, we're going to talk about some recruiting updates. I uh, just dropped a story over on Irish Breakdown about Luke Montgomery, big offensive tackle out of Finley High School over in Finley, Ohio. Prime candidate, might be one of the biggest uh, targets, or one of the first targets that Harry Heastan talks to. There's another offensive tackle up in Massachusetts that Brian Roberts dropped a story on over on Irish Breakdown. So, you know, the tandem, the duo. We're doing work over on Irish Breakdown for recruiting. Stay locked in. Go check out that story on Luke Montgomery over at Irish Breakdown right now. Now, I want to talk to LL Nation this morning. And when Malik gets in, he, he might be a little bit more heated. It seems to me, and I'll speak for myself until he gets here. What's up with all of the love for the transfer portal from the Notre Dame fan base? Like, it seems like every name that jumps into the transfer portal, like, immediately the fan base wants to jump on it, like, regardless of position. And one of the things that we talked about, I believe, shortly after the national championship game or leading up to the national championship game was the fact that Nick Saban was the one that stood up, I believe, days before the national championship game and said, yo, Somebody needs to get this under control. Everything that's happening, somebody needs to get it under control because this isn't good concerning the transfer portal and NIL and all of that. Now, one of the things I will say, NIL should not be, and this is one of the things that upsets me with the direction that it's taking. NIL should not be directly connected to the school. It shouldn't be. I believe it was a story that came out of the F, uh, San Francisco Chronicle this week where it talked about schools like Cal, Stanford, and other schools and colleges in the Bay Area. Football programs out there really thought because they were in Silicon Valley that they would have an upper hand on the NIL race when things opened up, only to find out that those tech companies are not, not – interested in college athletes not one bit i think the quarterback from cal garber he said he got about ten thousand dollars in nil money for companies out there and said it had nothing to do with cal it was all about basically his parents and himself brokering deals on instagram and on social media so when you start getting schools like lsu alabama involved with this money Basically, it's a front. That's all it is. It's a front, right? It's the same booster money that went to kids previously, but now the NIL is just a front for that same booster money. Like what Texas was able to do for that offensive lineman recruit, what Texas A&M was able to do in spite of they just lost, uh, they got a decommitment from Harold Perkins, the number one linebacker on yesterday, who more than likely will be going to LSU because of some NIL deal, reportedly, 
or allegedly. It's getting ridiculous. It's getting absolutely ridiculous. And what I'm upset about is that I see Notre Dame fans chiding Notre Dame in the administration saying, yo, when is Notre Dame going to get into the NIL race? Well, first of all, Jack Swarbrick is in these offices and these rooms when these decisions are made. And I don't think Jack Swarbrick wants to open that Pandora's box because once you open it, you can't go back. And the fan base, look, either you're 100% in on who Notre Dame is or you're not. So at one minute, you can't chide Alabama for their lack of academics and their players not going to class. And then the next thing, you know, you want to jump on Notre Dame for not doing what Alabama is doing. It's like either you want to get in the in the mud with the pigs or you don't. Either you want to be separate and different or you don't. Notre Dame's different. That's your football team. That's your program. And you have to accept it. If there's a quarterback, say a Dante Moore, and him and his father are looking for an NIL deal, then guess what? It might be a little bit more difficult for Notre Dame to get him to come to Notre Dame. But there are other players that can play the position of quarterback that you can develop. This is not Dante Moore a bust when it comes to Notre Dame being able to move forward with Marcus Freeman and win a national championship. Is that the number one guy on the list? Absolutely. Is that the person we want? Absolutely. But there's no way in the world that you can just sit back and start going at things as if you want Notre Dame and this football program all, all of a sudden to transform into an SEC conference team. That's not who they are. Notre Dame is not going to jump into the transfer portal. No, Notre Dame is not going to get a guy that loses to them in the national championship game and two weeks later wants to come over and play for the team he just beat. Do you know why Burton went to Alabama? Had nothing to do with team. He's sick and tired of his quarterback being Stetson Bennett. And if he's looking at his future, and his numbers, and how he can look on film, he would much rather give that opportunity to Bryce Young to make him look better on film for NFL scouts than to sit back and get targeted four to five times a game with Stetson Bennett as the quarterback and Brock Bowers being the main target in the offense. It's real simple. It's real simple. You can't chide that kid for wanting to put out better film for his future in the NFL scouts. It's a very shrewd move. He won a national championship. Check. You got that off your list. Now it's about me. I sacrificed. It was about the team. The team won a national championship. Now I have to look out for me. It's a very shrewd, different. We've never seen anything like it. But it's a very shrewd personal business move made by that kid to up his stock and his final year and his final push to get to the NFL. It doesn't matter if he's day one. It doesn't matter if he's day two. He has improved his stock immensely by going and catching passes in that Alabama offense and catching passes from Bryce Young. Lucky Lucky Podcast, my guy, Malik Zaire, joining us right now. I know you're talking about uh, Jeremy. As always. We let yeah, we're talking about Burton. 
you know, and I was just letting the fan base and LL Nation know, like, we have to relax. We have to relax. Yeah. Like, we, when we say we are ND, we have to be able to accept the totality of what that means. That's right. That's right. And the totality. Takes, we don't move. We don't move like Bama. No, 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 no. We don't move like LSU. No. We move differently. That's right. And sometimes moving differently, it might come across as being boring. Yep. yep. It might. I mean, but it's it's a it's levels to it though. It's mm-hmm. only seen as boring when you're making lateral moves. When you're making moves that aren't making you necessarily better and not necessarily worse. Okay. I think the transfer of Brandon Joseph made us better. That's not a boring move. No, that's a Notre Dame type of move. We got 14 leaving. Brandon Joseph coming in. It may not be better than 14, but it's yeah. a really good person to fill in that spot. When you say in lateral moves that are boring, where people not agreeing, is us calling quarterbacks that are all on the same level, or us getting a guy from Marshall as a guy that's filling in, but not a guy that's coming in to make us better, you know. So it's okay that we're not getting everything that comes in the transfer portal because we're and not desperate. We have to relax. Yeah. Like we, jump, we jump on every name. Let's go Keaton Slovis. Let's go get him. Another quarterback goes in. Let's go get him. It's like relax. Relax. We Our brand on the field. Please stay with me. I'm not talking about the brand of Notre Dame. We understand okay. It's the most internationally known football program across the world. Not just the United States, across the world. We get that. We understand the power of the brand. But the product on the field is not to a level of attractiveness to attract certain players. Let's just be real. Yeah, it's real. Right? Jameer Gibbs and Burton ended up at Alabama, and we're talking to Alabama in the middle of the season. Eli Ricks was talking to Alabama in the middle of the season because of the attractiveness of Nick Saban and Alabama. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban played all the way till, what, the second week of January Mm -hmm. and picked up bigger transfer portal recruits than anybody else working the full time. Right. So it just shows you that sometimes winning attracts people too. (laughs) Now, see, this is the thing. College football is dope enough for everybody to be attractive in different ways, right? So you might have a preference. For me, and I'll share this story, my preference growing up was fair skin, long hair. Until August 4th, 1991, (laughs) when I came across this chocolate young lady named Tiffany. She's been with me for the for the for 30 years now. She was the first and only, but I only needed to see one. It was only one I needed to see. I thought I knew what I wanted until I saw something that was different and was like, yo, that's it. Marcus Freeman is trying to build something that Notre Dame has never seen. And we have to relax because we might want what we think we see in Alabama or what we think we see in LSU. 
and we might like that's our preference. Yeah. Let Marcus Freeman bid. Because one day you're going to look up and Notre Dame is going to be the team they're going to be late in 2022, early 2023. And you're going to say, that's mine right there. That's my coach. That's my football team. That's how we rock. Let's do it. Because it's many, it's many ways to look good and attractive as a football program. Right. You don't have to do it like Alabama. You don't have to do it like LSU. But we've seen teams copy Alabama structure, i.e. Georgia, and made it better. So even Georgia's structure is not the same as Alabama's. It's their own version. And the more we can continue to be unique in what we look like and how we're portraying ourselves with Marcus Freeman doing the things yeah. we're doing, yeah. that's going to be our own niche. We're going to have yeah. our own type of player that wants to be there, not just a player that's like Alabama, LSU, Georgia, or Notre Dame, where I just got to pick one. Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. And I, I'm upset because now it puts us in a place, it, you waste energy, right? When you're so focused on trying to pull down another team and try to talk about Nick Saban and his players and how dumb they are, supposedly, and this and that, trying to tear down their program, you're wasting energy, man, that you can apply to your fan base and your team. Are you worried about them over there? And that's our problem. When when you're not winning and you can't get over the hump, you start looking at other people to put – as the position is why, you know, oh, well, they got dumb players. Oh, well, they got thousand uh, dollar athletes that they paying. Oh, they doing this and that. Right. But the whole time, the more we can focus on building a culture that can change the perspective for some of these guys that these big teams are getting, maybe we can do something to start there and it'll move on forward. Bro, let's be real. Everything, everybody that's doing all this NIL stuff and recruiting Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, or anybody else, Nick Saban told you he's holding off. Nick Saban's like, you all don't really want me to start doing that. No. Because he's in the gap. Because he already has proven that he can do it better than anybody else. (laughs) Right. So let's be real. NIL and the way it's being used right now, it's just the front for the booster money that was already coming in. Yeah. That's it. It's a laundromat. It's a yeah. cash fitness. It's a cash front for the money that was already coming in the players via the boosters. That's it. It's just now you, you just named the duffel bag a different name. That's, that's it. That's it. And that's the problem when you have the schools brokering the NIL deals. Yeah. It really shouldn't be the schools. The power goes to the player and their family and whatever business, uh, partner, manager, attorney they want to hire to go out and find those deals. The school shouldn't be finding NIL deals for players. Mm-hmm. That should have nothing to do with recruiting. Nothing. It shouldn't. And it's, it is crazy that, that the school feels like they need to do those things to secure players and I think that if the school just continued to build the program and and the relationships that the players have with the school, the NIL stuff is going to attract when you get that talent. Yeah. Like a guy like Bryce Young had a million-dollar NIL before he even took a snap. And I, so I don't think that Alabama was reaching out for him. You oh. know, he was the number one quarterback in the country. 
comes yeah. into a, a top school. Did his NIL deal come while he was committed to USC, or did it come after he decommitted? I can't remember. Either way, I mean, even uh Justin Fields, he left Georgia and had a million dollar thing, and he only he played less than JT Dames. Yeah, 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 yeah. So look. If you're all in as a Notre Dame fan, be all in on who Notre Dame is. That's that's all I'm saying. Like the thirst for the transfer portal, like we've talked about the quarterback situation. We talked about the quarterback room, the wide receiver room, the linebackers, everything that needs to be upgraded for Notre Dame to take that next step. We know what it is. Marcus Freeman is being a warrior out there, a warrior along with his, his uh, coaching staff on a recruiting trail, putting in mad work to get the best of the best to come to Notre Dame without that NIL being in the conversation. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're good at Notre Dame, Chicago is 40 minutes away. Yeah, It's a bunch of business that can be done. Indianapolis is like an hour away. Oh, we can make it happen. South Bend is in the middle of a lot of money. I'm telling you. A lot of money. And that campus represents a lot of money. We just found out Carnell Tate's favorite pizza is Home Run In. Guess what? The owner of Home Run In is a Notre Dame alum. Make it happen. That's it. Make it happen. That's not on Notre Dame. No. The information we passed along to Carnell. Now him and his family can make it happen. That's it. And, and, that's, and that's the work that's done right there because – Notre Dame has, like you said, the biggest advantage of NIL because of its alumni. Yeah. You know, alumni can, just like Texas alumni support their football team, I'm sure that they don't have a bunch of questions saying, oh, well, where's where? what is the uh, Texas University doing? You know, no, no, no. Everybody knows that the alumni run the University of Texas. And it shouldn't be no different here. If anything, we no. got bigger reach. We're not just in one state. So... That just saw, I saw that yesterday and I shared it with you. I was like, man, we have to talk about this tomorrow. We have to, right? Because Notre Dame is not the type of team that you want, or not the type of program that you want to build all transfers. Yeah, we would would lose the essence of what Notre Dame football is if we just got a team full of makeshift uh, one-year guys like we're the longest yard or something. or You know, we would lose the essence of the the development that we I feel like we develop players even though we talk about the few things that we don't develop yeah. we develop players that are Notre Dame guys from year one to year four Facts. most likely most of the time you know we've never been a team to just get a bunch of transfers I think obviously we've had to play a little bit because that's just where the game is going and it's worked for us but we we I don't think we want to make a name doing that especially Marcus Freeman and, and recruiting his kids. He's going hard recruiting these kids. But I don't know if he's looking to give that same attention to all transfer kids either. Right. Lucky Lefty Podcast, SD2 Mike, Sean Davis with the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire at Overtime Malik, brought to you by Nora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com, that premium American whiskey. AnoraWhiskey.com. Go ahead, line up your super chats, your big questions, whether it's recruiting, transfers, or what's happening with Notre Dame and the coaching staff moving forward. 
some rumblings that everything should be finalized by next Monday. I'll just throw that out there. There's certain things that should be finalized by next Monday. And uh, one of the candidates, you know, after Sunday, he he won't be working anyway. So uh, Al Golden, can he can come in and do whatever he wants to because he won't be coaching anymore after Sunday. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Oh, okay. Uh, it, took you, it took you a while to catch that. Oh, okay. You know, he'll oh. be free. He'll yeah, be free I really, really want to understand. Like, he'll I just, be free uh, Monday. We'll send the PJ to Kansas <laughs> City to pick him up. And he can fly straight to South Bend because he'll be free. <laughs> he, he won't need to work the rest of the year. He's got a big. He's got a big weekend though, and I think that it, you're, you're in for quite a surprise. You know, I think you'll see something of what we saw a couple weeks earlier. It wasn't too long ago when we had to do the damn thing again. So, <laughs> you know, we gonna find out. So, you talked about Brandon Joseph, right? And one of the things we didn't get to. We're talking about the players and the difference between the defensive players and how they view the 2022 season and offensive players that took the chance to talk to the media on Friday. And and Brandon Joseph talked about the expectations that he has for the 2022 season and his own expectations. The expectations are there because of of my past. And I mean, I put them on myself too. Uh, I expect to be one of the best players in the country. And to join a team like Notre Dame, I think that's how I'm going to be able to maximize on that. And so I hold myself to as high as a standard as all the talk and coming, like I said, coming and working with Matt Bayless and walking into all the different things I need to improve for myself is how I think I can develop to be the best version of myself. Now, did you hear Brandon Joseph say, say that he needed to maximize on who Notre Dame was? Absolutely. He needed to bring his talent to a program like Notre Dame that's different than everybody else. But even in being different, it can maximize the individuals that connect itself to the program. He's like, yeah, I can launch yeah. from, from a bigger spot at Notre Dame than any time I could at Northwest. I just wish he would have right. just threw Northwestern in there. Just be like, look, right. I couldn't get to where I wanted to go at Northwestern, but I know at Notre Dame, I see the ceiling and I see us Closing the gap with that. And this is what my talents is good for. My talents fit Notre Dame. And you already know Notre Dame produces NFL players. The next step is producing elite NFL players because they've been elite college football players. Like, literally, that's the next step from a recruiting standpoint and a development standpoint for Notre Dame. Getting guys, getting three guys in the first round, not just having Kyle Hamilton being a top five but having and i do think and i do think too that i mean like you said like we want guys that are damn near like kyle hamilton yeah guys that are just need a little tweaking but the talent is already you know showing itself we just want to hone in on what can make you you know technically better and i mean we can produce guys like kyle all the time yeah so when you speak of it from a recruiting standpoint I think grassroots, Notre Dame is doing exactly what you need to do. You cast a wide net. You cast a wide net going after the best players. You don't go into recruiting saying, oh, we can't get that guy. Oh, we we don't have a chance to get that guy. Why go down south and get a big-time D-tackle? Why go to the East Coast up into Pennsylvania and get an offensive tackle? Because kids like that usually go to Penn State. They're locked up. 
Like yeah. Notre Dame is defying all of the rules that the previous regime had when it came to recruiting. Like Notre Dame literally does not give a darn right now. That's yeah. the attitude. Like we don't give a darn. We don't care who's talking to this kid. We're coming. We're coming. We're Notre Dame. We Let have the a decide if he don't want to. We have a package that no one else can offer, which leads me to the Inside the Garage podcast. KJ Wallace transferred from Notre Dame. His last episode on campus was yesterday. He's still trying to decide where he's going. This is the one thing that he said that stood out to me. He said, I could have transferred a long time ago, but there's no way I was going to come to this school and not leave without a Notre Dame degree. He said, that's what it's all about. And he said, that's why all of us came here. He said, that's why all of us chose this school. Not just because of football, because of that degree. And I said, that's the most sensible thing I've ever heard from an athlete. Like, it makes absolutely no sense to put in three years at this school and then leave and go get a degree from somewhere else. Makes no sense. So he's literally taking online uh, classes and extra classes this semester. No, online classes and some other classes to make sure he can graduate from Notre Dame (laughs) and still be enrolled in another school to probably get those credits to transfer over. It's crazy. And that's, but that's exactly the the catch 22 at Notre Dame. I had the exact same feeling slash reason. Yeah. I was so close to graduating because, you know, you're there for the summer, you're there in the spring, taking courses. And if you don't drop any classes, you really finishing real fast. So when you get through that red shirt year, you on your red shirt sophomore year, you damn near done with your degree. <laughs> so if the football not you guys pretty course, much which is how are you required to take classes over the summer or is it just something most players do? Well, you take classes over the summer to get you on campus so you can work out and 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 get money to live on campus and stuff. Yeah. For summer workouts, because technically the school is out or whatever, but you just you just know you're there. It ain't nobody just missing no summer. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. But then again, too, is that, I mean, you got to think about it. You, like you said, it's hard to walk away from a Notre Dame degree because it's hard to get in there, you know. So just what Coach Kelly did so famously is that guys would be frustrated about playing time. But Coach Kelly would know that you wouldn't leave. He's like, you're going to leave this degree. You about a year done. Right. So now you're really just sitting for a whole year on your hands because you like, I got to get the degree, but. I know I can play somewhere else. So for me, my grad transfer year, I was done early. So I had another chance to open a second recruitment after graduating. So yeah. it just worked out perfect. That's because I went to school early. Now, if I went on time, it would probably be a different story. Lucky Lefty Podcast. We're talking about the transfer portal and how, look, the fan base, and you know, we want everything to kind of happen fast and we want to get to that national championship. But – as we say, we are in deep. We are different, and we have to look at things a totally different way. You know what? I want to go back to, uh, once again, the quarterback battle, right? Because if you talk about Dante Moore, big-time quarterbacks like that, looking at NIL deals, and I don't know, maybe his family are considering 
that we talked to Carnell Tate, and he said it's definitely a factor. It's something his parents have him. He's talked with his parents about. So if that is the case, how much pressure should Notre Dame feel, if any, to even include that in his recruitment? Or shouldn't the Marcus Freeman just keep it a buck and keep it 100 and say, yo, this 40 on the back end is worth more than any NIL money you can get right now? Uh, I think that's a harder sell because you're oh, seeing yeah. kids going into – these crazy deals at these schools where they're not as prestigious as us. Like for instance, Eastern Michigan, Charlie, uh, Charlie Batch offering a kid a million dollars to go to Eastern Michigan. I mean, it's that, it's that ridiculous. So I don't know if the, not every kid is thinking 40 years down the road. Not every kid is seeing the value the same of a, a degree. You know, their parents usually have a huge influence on getting you to think about that, but, I think from an NIL standpoint, if I was Marcus Freeman, I'd just be like, look, this is the place. If anywhere else, you you do some of the right things. Well, we have some some programs at school. You're going to – it's like a – you're the honey, and the flies are going to attract to you once people start seeing this thing open up. You're on the biggest stage where somebody's going to catch you just like they have with all the other players, with Kyle and everything. I think it could work out that way. But unless we can guarantee duffel bags, man, it's just – I think it's not worth putting extra energy in the NIL when it's so broad and random, you know. And that's the problem with it right now. Like, there has to be some central administration for this thing to really come across the right way exactly. as it moves forward. And if the NCAA does not want to be that administration, then guess what? There needs to be some committee form to do things – for the best interest of the sport. Flat out. Do you think the sport is ruined currently, though? I just think it's just not a a direction for a player to be like, all right, this is the track to get to this NIL, or this is the, the way to get to this. It's kind of just like, man, if they like you enough, just like any company, they're going to find you and offer you something, you know? No, I, I wouldn't say that. I would definitely say that, you know, moving forward, I think things need to be because eventually the NIL money is going to be fraudulent, in my opinion, mm. because you're going to have kids going to schools, taking the money, bouncing, and going to play somewhere else. So mm. now, what? So now, what are you doing? Right. Wait. So you saying they would? So, like, for instance. Dante would go to like a Kansas freshman year, get the big bag, and then transfer to Notre Dame. Is that what you're saying? Who who was to say he couldn't do it? Well, that would mean that. Or just take the lineman. Great example would be the lineman, all the linemen that went to Texas that got the NIL money. Okay. Dude, a lineman could go in there with the attitude like, man, I'm on scholarship. I got this money. There's no need for me to compete. I'll just take it easy. And in a couple of years, I'll find another school to go play and get to the league. I mean, it's, you're talking about young kids, man. You're not talking about people that really understand the value of money, the value of what they're getting, and the fact that you still have to work or you need to work to live up to 
that NIL money, that's dangerous. Yeah. That's dangerous. That's like giving money to these 18, 19 year olds going into the NBA and then expecting them not to make mistakes. What 18 and 19 year old doesn't make mistakes? Man, I just got a text message, you know, or saw something. My godson, he's he's 12. And my bro was like, man, I'm going to kill your godson. He's a teenager. Like, what are you talking? Dude, I get it. I get it. I understand. That's, man, that's life. So, yeah, at some point, you're going to have certain stories come out with this NIL money that's not going to look good, man. And I just hope that the NCAA and all of college football is prepared for these sob stories. Where are we at with the transfer portal? When it first started, everybody was like, great. Kids don't have to sit out a year. They can transfer immediately. I think it was last year you had 300 kids that transferred that didn't get picked up. But that's but that goes to even recruiting. There's thousands of kids that don't even get scholarships going into school. You yeah, know, but a kids that had a scholarship didn't properly gauge. That's why, look, if a team, if you're talking to a team in the middle of the year and you know you want to bounce and you're trying to gauge where you can go, I'm all for that. I'm not particularly for somebody talking to another team's player in the middle of the year, but if a kid already knows he's getting ready to bounce and he gets permission from that school, it's almost like giving a player in the NBA permission to go seek out a trade. Like, okay, you don't want to be here anymore. We're open to making a trade. Go find us a trade partner. But, but then, too, you got to think that, all right, well, not everybody's going to get a deal like a Quinn Ewers or a Caleb Williams, which which is why I don't think it's as bad because, you know, those 300 players that didn't get picked up, those guys didn't have no NIL opportunities clearly, you know, at the time. So from a structure standpoint and even from, from that, yeah, 300 guys not getting picked up after transferring. It's like, damn, well, you wasn't playing where you was at for a reason. That'll make you necessarily a better situation somewhere else or at that time. But that's just the game you play. There's no way you can sit there and manage a kid to, that wants to stay there or wants to leave if he's got all these these feelers. But if you take that mistake and, and don't get a chance to get picked up again, yeah. nobody told you to leave in the beginning. You, I mean, a kid got to get some type of accountability. If you thought you was going to do something and it ended up not working out because you didn't get picked up, I mean, I don't expect the school to just pick you back up because they offering kids every day, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's the devil you know is better than one you don't. That's the obvious danger of doing that. But then again, you don't have to do that either. You can just ride your situation out or get better clarification you know, a guy like Jermaine Burton going from Georgia, Alabama, that's that's not that hard, you know. But if you got a guy leaving UAB and trying to go to Ohio State thinking that they got some feeling and don't get there, I mean, who feels sad for that? Nobody should feel sad for that. Yeah, I, I saw McCole Hardman jumping on Burton. You know, he's a wide receiver from Georgia. He's throwing that shade at Burton. It's like, what are you talking about, man? They you're, just won a championship. You're in the league. You're in, in the, league. the league. Like, how, man, how do you go to the team you just beat? Because they have the better quarterback, and I'm trying to get to the league. It's simple. 
It don't have nothing else to do with nothing else. I'm tired of getting three to four targets behind Brock Bowers with Stetson Bennett as the quarterback. And Stetson only throwing it 11 times. So it makes perfect business sense. That's a decision that you get. Man, he came home, sat down with his pops, and was like, man, I had dude beat all night. I was killing dude all night. All night. I should have had at least five. I can't I can't go nowhere else right. because Georgia's the nicest team. Yeah. So I can only go to a team with a quarterback. I can't yeah. it's not like I'm looking at 50 different schools. I'm not going to LSU. Right. I ain't got nobody. Right. You know what I mean? He said, You so, see the way I killed them? You see the way I killed them in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Two pass interferences I picked up. I was doing all night. The dude had to tackle me. Right. Like, yo, I was doing that all night. We could have had that in the first quarter. But. And he so saw the Mitch on the other side. Yeah. He saw Mitch standing over there. He's like, man, Mitch just wasting the jersey. I could be over there getting 200 yards. And then Jamison went down. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going. He's going. So, Alabama has gotten the, some of the top talent from other SEC teams already. Yes. Well, already. that's all you can ask of a young man. Come take care of your business based upon your original commitment. And at any point you feel like you need to do something that's best for you, then go ahead and do that. And that's what he did. People are just butt hurt because he's going to Alabama. Let's just keep it real. Because if he's going to Michigan State, nobody would care. Nobody would care. They'd be like, oh, good for you. You know, just you, you trying to do what's best for you. Da, 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 da. And if he told you to some of the same people will be jumping up and down talking about how great of a decision it is. Yeah. So, you know. People don't like when you're making the choice that they know you're going to beat them with. You know, everybody oh. know you go there, you're going to get the ball, you're going to, you know, everything Absolutely. that people don't want you to do. <laughs> Let me take a side, you know, a sidebar right quick. And we'll come back to Notre Dame. Uh, Tom Brady spoke with Jim Gray on his Let's Go podcast yesterday. And for the first time, I heard Tom Brady pretty much admit, in my opinion, that it's a wrap. When asked about the season, Tom Brady said, I didn't like the outcome, but I'm satisfied. With what the, and I said, whoa, I've never heard a great player be satisfied yeah. with not winning. And when a great player like that says he's satisfied with something less than winning the championship, that's the first red flag that, you know what, it might not be worth it to him the way it used to be. I mean, at the game like that, man, I think he would have been surprised if he pulled that off. So he's just like, man. Because the truth of the matter is they got dominated. And we're going to be honest about it. They got dominated. Yeah. If for the Rams turning the ball over, that game would have been ugly. It would have been ugly. Real so ugly. I think he was just – I think you're right. No great player can sit there and say they satisfied, and that would make you feel like they still have the same intensity yeah. as the, the first time they won a championship. So I do think that – him losing so early and him getting beat on like he did, he's like, man, you know what, man, maybe it isn't that that uh important for me anymore because if you look at the team, the team's not going to be the same next year. 
No. You know, the team not only older, but you got guys with injuries. Gronk's older. You know, you got a division that's getting tougher around you. And he's just kind of like, man, I'm fighting a good fight, but I'm definitely going to take as long as I need to. Potentially not even to come back. I think if he had to end, that's the best way to end because other than that, he would just keep winning. <laughs> he's one of the few people in history that if it wasn't for an all-star team like what the Rams had, literally Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Sharif, I mean, that's an all-star defense. Yeah. So he's probably like, man, if that's the peak of the defenses that I got to face to win a championship, maybe it's, I'm satisfied having seven rings. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> and understanding what his team went through this year. You know, and Tom Brady knows. He knew at the end, and I'm sure a lot of Tom Brady fans in the chat that'll watch this later will be upset because they don't want to look at the reality. Tom Brady had an arc where he was a game manager. Then he went to a league quarterback that could carry a team, and he started to come back down to a quarterback that needed a little more help around him because yeah. he could no longer carry a team with lesser talent like he did previously. Just like LeBron. That's what you saw when he left New England, which is why he went to Tampa Bay, which is a team that had tons of talent and was 500 with Jameis Winston at quarterback. It was easy to see for him to say, oh, I can take this team and win four to five more games yep. and go to the Super Bowl. Defense was, already <laughs> Defense was already stacked. It was like he didn't go somewhere where they were rebuilding, like, yo, let me elevate everybody else. Mm-hmm. No. So he knows exactly where he's at and he sees the writing on the wall with the roster and he has to ask himself like, man, do I want the pressure of having to carry and elevate a team by having to walk out and put 35 points up on the board because the defense might not be as dominant as they've been. If Todd Bowles gets a head coaching job, if Byron Leftwich gets a head coaching job, now it's two brand new OC, two brand new coaches. All of that matters. All of that matters. All of that matters. So and he can't. It's not too many places where he's gonna can get traded to that's yeah. got a similar setup to what he went to in Tampa Bay. Yeah. All these teams that are great now are teams that are up and coming or teams with quarterbacks that's making them put in the playoffs. You know, like Joe Burrow has brought his team to the playoffs. Right. You know, uh, uh, Green Bay. I don't think Tom Brady want to be in no damn cold no more, <laughs> you know, even if Aaron Rodgers leaves. So it's like Man. it's not too many places other than Dallas. But then that's just asking for too much. I think I think Jerry Jones and Tom Brady link up for one year. I think they'll win the Super Bowl. So you're just going to throw, just kick Dak out, just – just straight kick him out. Huh? Dak's kicking himself out. You think they're gonna pay? They you think they're gonna keep Dak after what they did? I don't know. I wouldn't trust it because they damn near didn't want to pay in the beginning. You literally, you literally held the Dak flag all year. Yeah, literally. I was support. Yeah, absolutely. And but you just kicking him out for one year time. I'm not kicking him out. I'm be, just like I'm being realistic about Tom Brady might come to an end. You think that Dallas is sitting there being like, yeah, we're going to be all right with that next year. I don't believe they're thinking that. They need to worry about who's going to be covering on the back end. 
That's what they need to worry about. And they need to worry about replacing some of that old offensive line. Uh, yeah, Zach Martin. Oh, man. I mean, how many times are you going to have Tyron go on the IL during the season? It's like every year he's missing four, five, six games. At, At some point you have to realize, like, yo. You know, and to be honest, Lyle Collins hasn't been as advertised. At right tackle. He just hasn't. Just hasn't. And no. it's just the inconsistency because wasn't he suspended for a little bit? Then he yeah. came back and got hurt. So you know, all I, think- I know is Marcus Freeman will have a face-to-face with Al Golden more than likely Monday or Tuesday. Al Golden, his season will be done. He will be available for a face-to-face interview in South Bend. And, uh, You're such a hater. I can't wait. I'll, I'll go and hold the trophy up so I get a picture and we can put it on the podcast. Al Golden ain't holding not one trophy up this year at all. Unless he has one of his kids has a Pop Warner trophy from a tournament. Al Golden would never touch a trophy this year. You talking to the Kings of the North? No, I'm, I'm talking, talking to the Kings I'm of North. All of LL Nation from Dayton, the surrounding areas, they've been talking all that trash like they haven't sucked for the past 50 years. I love that we love to talk about what we used to be. No, I'm talking about what you're going to be. I just told you where you're going to be at on Monday. <laughs> so I'm talking about the future too. Lucky Lefty Podcast. <laughs> Sean Davis with my guy, Malik Zaire. Let's get back to Notre Dame right quick. I just wanted to touch on that with Tom Brady. I thought that was very interesting. Don't forget, coming up in about 15 minutes, we have former Notre Dame running back uh, Cam McDaniel joining the show. And um, he's doing some great work. Look forward to talking about his company, Adam Technologies, his time away from Notre Dame uh, when he played in the CFL and what he's doing now, um, making great strides. And I want to ask him about, you know, what he's doing and how that could impact college football and strength training in the future. I really want to get into that. So we look forward to talking to Cam McDaniel in about 13 and a half minutes right here on the Lucky Lefty podcast. So we got some good bites from Avery Davis and Braden Lindsay yesterday concerning the starting quarterback, who we think should be the starting quarterback for Notre Dame and Tyler Buckner. But Ray Lindsey was also asked about the difference between the team and how they operate at Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman. Listen to this and what he had to say. Um, I think the practice schedule, um, just in itself, uh, a little shorter, but um, higher intensity. I think it's more good on good, uh, less um, you know, ones versus threes to you know, give you certain looks that are scripted. Um, I think that allows the ability to, if you're playing well, there's more mobility within the depth chart. So I think um, you might see a bit more, you know, aggressiveness and a little more competitiveness within. Um, but on top of that, I think there's definitely a huge emphasis on the team itself. Um, I feel like it's going to make us closer. Um, so I think you'll see a, a tighter and more competitive team come fall. Did Brayden Lindsay just say, man, we used to stand around and do a bunch of nothing? Yeah, I believe it. I mean, basically what he's saying. Yeah, the pace of practice is definitely during the season really slow. But I mean, shoot, clearly, 
what do you expect? You know, y'all trying to put a game plan in for the week. You're going to be standing there sometime. I got to talk about what's going on and offensively more than defense because, you know, defense, they flying around, yada, yada. Offensively, you know, it's really like, look, we're trying to really put this together. We need to make sure this is right on time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. naturally, offense is going to be a little more boring. Now, it could be a, a faster pace to things. Like, he's still going to have it hot over on the offense because even in walkthroughs, he cussing at you, he yelling at you. So the energy is going to be there for the offensive line. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to get everybody else going. But Chancey Stucky not going to let you sit around. And that was the problem. It was too much of y'all standing around to begin with, not having no technique. Y'all should have been working releases or something. So I know Chancey Stucky has gotten all of that information. <laughs> and he's diagnosing it currently. It's like, okay, we're going to adjust these empty times with stuff to get better because clearly it's not translating on the field yet but this is good though this is good that we know what the problem was and how we're going to fix it you can always be doing something to get better yeah like staying around come on yeah always always time to do something to make yourself better now houston griffith had the opportunity to leave he chose to come back as well they're going to be thick on that back end at the safety position i'm sure he's going to want to start next to uh, his guy is one of his friends, which is Brandon Joseph, the transfer in from Northwestern. He talked about the excitement he has about the outlook on 2022-23. I'm excited because the whole defense is pretty much back, uh, honestly. So, you know, it's uh, it's room for growth. You know, after the Fiesta Bowl, you know, it didn't go the way we wanted to uh, uh, later on in the game. So, you know, it's something that's going to motivate us all offseason. You know, just, you know, going out there and competing and winter workouts whether that's in the weight room or in the classroom or when we're out here running gas, it's like it's a competition. And that's the mindset Coach Bayless has instilled in our program and our culture. And that's why I think we've had so much success since I've been at Notre Dame. I mean, 10 plus wins every time I've been here. So it doesn't get better than that. So I'm just really excited for uh, what's what's in the future and, you know, how we're going to attack this 22, 22 season and just, you know, week one versus Ohio State. So it should be a very exciting year for us. My only pushback would be it does get better than 10 plus wins every year. Ask Alabama. Yeah. Like, that's cool. 10 plus wins every year doesn't get any better than that. Yes, it does. Would you say Mac Jones class went to a championship in a ring they went every, to the year. CFP every, every year? Every year they were at Alabama. <laughs> every year. They don't know anything else, dude. Yeah. Now, that's, that's what you want to be talking about. Right. You know, right. He's like, yeah, we made it to the finals every year and don't win. That's different. They have girlfriends that are scheduling, like, you know, trips during, uh, what, uh, Christmas break? <laughs> like, man, can we go here? And they're looking at them like, dude. Yeah, like, Alabama girlfriends know. Right. Like, they're busy until February, damn right. Because, you know, right after they got to get ready for the draft. Because he's right. just, that's you know, what we so do. the whole winter is booked up. You know, how at Alabama players during the summer, you know? Get in where you get in, right. <laughs> Summertime. That's it. They are busy. Kick off in October. <laughs> no, that's the way it is. Come on, man. Yo, Alabama players don't talk to me. You know, don't talk to me until like February. Yeah, you know, we used to we used to taking them trips. We can't wait to Christmas time. Santa roll around because we on some islands taking because we a ten win team. That's what yeah. they used to. Yeah. That's cool. But I like the fact that he says, "Yo." It's going to be a good team rolling into the horseshoe. 
And it goes back to why is the defense sounding so different than offense? You got Houston. Yeah, we all coming back. We flying around competitive. And then you got Brady. Well, you know, it's just uh, you know, get better. Hopefully, whoever win the job. I just I want to hear both sides firing off at the same. We need that. <laughs> we need that. And maybe they get into spring practices and they start to find out and see that the Notre Dame offense is a little bit more explosive. You know, maybe, you know, they start to realize like, yo, these young boys we used to push around on the O-line, man, they're not the same. So an iron sharpens iron. Another thing Braden Lindsay said, like, yo, they're used to going up against the third string. Shells, just looking at what plays are going to work when they give us this look. Well, guess what? The other team is scouting as well. Just scouting how to play the plays that you want to go to. So when you get in the game and don't get that look. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the preparation standpoint, and, and hopefully that means the scout team, like you said, is, is, is kicking butt. If the scout team is kicking butt and challenging our guys in practices, I just don't see how we're not where we want to be, you know. Lucky Lefty Podcast. We're talking recruiting, NIL today, and a little bit of transfer portal. Once again, special guest Cam McDaniel is going to be joining us shortly right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Look, man, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and just put it out there. Is Joe Burrow a top five quarterback in the NFL? Are we talking about right now, or are we talking about? You can never just answer the question straight up. These got to be specific. If we talking right now, and Joe there, Burrow, there is a professional football league called the National Football League. If Every we're talking right now, Joe Burrow's top three. Say it again. If we're talking right now, Joe Burrow is top three. You talking about of the current teams that are left in the playoffs, or you talking about the entire league? The entire league. He's top what? Three. You must be talking about the AFC North. Oh, He's oh. top three in the AFC North? The only person that – only people I wouldn't put Joe Burrow above right now is Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Oh, Deshaun still exists. Oh, yeah, but Deshaun, that's what I said right now. That's what, what I said. Right He'll be right now. He'll be on a team coming towards you all year. Near you. I love Deshaun. Deshaun, you know, Deshaun top five in there. So you would take, Burrow. wait a minute. So you would take Joe Burrow over Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers about the league. Not the league. I don't know the way Aaron Rodgers be talking. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers. I just counted Tom and Aaron because they, you know, they're yeah, not. That's a little bratty. That's all. <laughs> He's, a He's just throwing a little temper tantrum. Aaron Rodgers isn't leaving the league, man. Like, Tom yeah. Brady is a totally different story. Yeah, so I'm not counting Aaron and Tom, so that makes Joe Burrow top three because you got Patrick Mahomes, Lamar, and Joe Burrow. I'm taking Joe Burrow over Matthew Stafford. I'm taking over Dak. I'm taking over Josh Allen. I'm taking over Jared Goff. How? I'm taking Taylor How Baker, Ben Roethlisberger, Mason Rudolph. How are you taking them over Josh Allen? How? What do you mean? Them on what? Joe Burrow is playing 
uh, Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship this weekend. That's okay, what. once again, how are you taking him over Josh Allen? How? Because Josh Allen fools everybody like he does really good numbers and then can't win the game. That's my problem with Josh Allen. He fools everybody. He fools everybody. They, so remember they he, were talking about MVP? They were talking about him winning the MVP after they lost last year. So Sunday was an illusion at Arrowhead. We all we were all mystified. But y'all thought he was gonna win. Yes, yes. Mr. Mark Sanchez. Remember, remember Mark Sanchez back to back AFC championships, number one defense. Everybody thought the Jets was gonna go to Super Bowl, yeah. and they just kept losing. The fact that you keep comparing him to Mark Sanchez is <laughs> I'm not comparing him to Mark Sanchez, I'm comparing the similarities of those teams at that time. Wow. Lucky Lefty Podcast. That's all I can say, man. What What you want me to do? Dude, you can choose to rock with your guy, Joe B, but the disrespect that you it's show. Hold on. The le- and it's not the, just the, the level of disrespect that you have shown. <laughs> I think the level of disrespect you've shown towards Josh Allen is greater than the disrespect you showed to Mary J. Blige. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. So where is where is Josh Allen on your list? Because Josh Allen was in the AFC and then lost and then lost this year in the divisional. So if anything, he got worse. Well, first of all, Josh Allen has already been to an AFC championship game. And lost. Yes, just like Joe B is about to do. They're gonna have the same experience. You try to speak. They'll be able to sit down at the Pro Bowl in a couple of weeks and talk about their experience at Arrowhead. Like, man, we thought we had them. Yeah, I thought we had them too. How can Uh, you talk bad on Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow hasn't played yet? What have I said negatively about Joe Burrow? That he's going home and he's going to be sharing stories That's with Josh. Really Allen. Really. Joe Burrow isn't the only player on the Bengals. <laughs> I'm talking about the Bengals as a team. <laughs> nah, not the way Eli Apple playing. The Apple okay. of my eye. My guy, wow. Eli. Wow. The Apple of my eye, Eli. We shutting stuff down, Tyree. There's your Ohio bias coming through with me. <laughs> You're depending upon a high Ohio State defensive back to come through for you, right? Right? Oh my goodness. Who is I mean, who who is he going to cover? I hope they don't have him on Tyree. Listen, it doesn't matter. We play as a unit. You saw how how did we guard AJ Brown and Julio? How? How? How is that possible? Okay. Okay. And then they got to worry about Jamar Chase, okay. T. Higgins, Azuma. Ooh, Joe Mixon. Ooh, the boys. Who was the quarterback for the Titans again? Ryan Tanner downhill. Lucky lefty pot. Yo, this is incredible. <laughs> so, moving forward, how do you see? Notre Dame effectively being able to deal with the challenge of the, I think Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick are really saying, let this play out. Let's let this NIL thing play out. And once it settles, 
Then we'll make our move and see how we really want to be a part of this whole landscape across college football. The one thing I can say that I'm most proud about the program is that Jack Swarbrick has always played his cards right with how college football changes. And this is no different. I believe, like you said, he's going to play it real cool. He's going to let it all lay the cards out in front of him. Yeah. And he's going to make the best decision for Notre Dame based off of different things. You know, there's many different programs he could do. He wants to see how some of the top schools are doing it. And I think him being a the outlier, like the Jerry Jones of the, of the, of the NFL league owners, he's just different. You know, yeah. he's going to bring something different to the table that might help all the college, all this college football, like he's been doing. So now I'm just, I'm just interested to see what that would look like. But I do think it'll take some time. But the, the ch- approaching the challenge, we've always been able to do that on a, on a high quality level. And I think that we're not going to fast food any process, no matter what changes in college football, like some other teams have tried to adapt because it doesn't last long. I don't think Georgia with Kirby Smart is going to have the same traditional history building for Georgia like Marcus Freeman is doing for Notre Dame. I think the Kirby Smart is more of an error of Georgia because he's going Georgia's going to hit the highest point and it's just going to come crashing down because it's not a steady build up. I mean they were they were good as soon as he got there. You know, I mean he took a team that was average and made them playoff ready in a two years. So I think Marcus Freeman is going to do it the right way and then we'll be standing at 10 years from now where Kirby, I think, won't last as long because it's too much you got to do right now. So, man, let's get to some interesting comments as we wait for our guest. Your boy, Crazy Boy. There you go. That's a crazy boy comment, man. <laughs> That's a crazy boy comment. Let's see, dude. Look, man, stop talking to me about the regular season. Same, these are the type of cats that love Aaron Rodgers. Great in the regular season, nothing in the postseason. I don't want to hear about what the Bing, what the Bengals did to the Chiefs and we hate them. No matter that won't matter on Sunday. It doesn't matter. See, this is what I'm talking about, man. People bring up what happened in the regular season. Like, oh, we beat them in the regular season. So, so what does that mean? That man is crazy. What is that? That has no bearing. There are teams that beat the Chiefs, the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Wait a minute. No, you said it has no bearing? Chargers beat, the Chargers beat the Chiefs. Wait, you're saying no bearing, though? No. No bearing. Now, we all know that everybody was jumping on. Did week five, did week five have any bearing? Because the number one, we talked about the number one defense, week five, what they went into Arrowhead and did against, they shut Patrick Mahomes down. Patrick Mahomes did this, and Patrick Mahomes did that. What did Patrick Mahomes do? He he adjusted, right? Can we add some context? He adjusted. Answer the question. He adjusted and they won because Josh Allen's terrible. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm not arguing Buffalo. The reason it has no bearing, is because both teams are going to watch the tape and make adjustments. So I don't care what happened week 18. It's a brand new ball game on Sunday for all the marbles in the AFC. See, this is the only difference. We got to add context to it. Because Go ahead. Week five, add, 
Our guest is waiting, but go ahead and add your context. Real go quick. ahead. Week five, the Chiefs were still terrible. They was losing all type of stuff. And after week five or after that game, they turned it around. They was kicking butt. But what happened when they played Cincinnati the last week of the season when they were hot? They wasn't terrible anymore. They played Cincinnati, a real team who's also hot. And best versus best, they got beat. So it, how much adjustments can you make in three weeks? I agree. You had from week five to get ready for the division. But now you got week 18 to get ready for the AFC. It's, it's different. It's okay. different. You so know, Kareem, Kareem. Can I ask you one question? Would you would you would you walk into the locker room and, and tell Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow to play the same game that they played and they'll win? Yeah, get behind by 21 points on Arrowhead on Sunday. <laughs> do that. Would you would you tell them to do it the same way or would you tell them to make adjustments? I say, look, you got Joe Burrow. Go ahead, man. You got Go Joe ahead. Burrow. So just Keep him close. That's all I'm going to say. Keep him close. Lucky Lefty Podcast. We bring into the podcast former Notre Dame running back, friend of the program, friend to the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire, Cam McDaniel. Cam, welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast. What's up, guys? Good to be on, man. Man, Cam, thanks so much for joining, man. Thanks so much for joining. I love the jacket. You know, he always is on his fly guy stuff, man. So <laughs> appreciate you joining the LL Nation. ESQ special. ESQ special. <laughs> so, Cam, what would you say this journey that you've gone on from the time that you left Notre Dame and to what you're doing now, I definitely want to tap in with Adam, Technolo Adam Technologies and talk about that because I think what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing. I don't want to actually talk about it from the standpoint of recovery. But I have to think you guys are thinking about implementing this into just basic everyday training and college Absolutely. football programs just to stay healthy on a general basis down the road. But before that, you come to Notre Dame in 2011 and you walk into the locker room. What is the state and the culture of Notre Dame when you get there as a freshman? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, it was an interesting time because it was uh, it was the beginning of the Brian Ke Kelly era, really. Um, and so we were watching the culture, you know, shift kind of right before our eyes. Obviously, he was able to uh, be there um, with the team in 2010. Um, but <clears throat> that 2011 season, you could definitely, you know, feel the shift and feel the transition. I feel like even my entire career at Notre Dame, was a lot of just, you know, shift and transition, a lot of quarterback changing back and forth. I mean, Malik can obviously sympathize with this, but there was so much of us um, really trying to find our identity and stay in that swagger. And I think it changed so much during the time I was there. Uh, but man, that initial 2011, um, just recruiting class, I remember walking into my dorm room and my roommates, I was in a quad, my roommates were Stefan Tuitt, Troy Nicholas and Ben Koyak. And I called, I was in the, the quad of the giants. So I immediately picked the top bunk. Um, it was funny because Stefan to would sleep above Troy Nicholas in the, in the room next to me. And I would be like, man, that's, that is scary, a, scary that's a hazard, man. I don't know how you can sleep at all at night with that. <laughs> so, 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 you know, you're walking into, like you said, the beginning of Brian Kelly airs, a lot of shift, of, in my opinion, trying to find an identity. But through those shifts and those transitions, 
we were still really good. So what was that adjustment like for you in that competitive space? I mean, the team at that point, I thought was the biggest we've ever been, you know, from just the size and and height and everything. We were the biggest team at that point. So what was that competition like in transition with us still being good? Yeah. Um, Man, it was it was just interesting to watch. It was interesting to watch um, because I think my freshman year, I think our talent pool was bananas, man. Like, uh, I mean, the, <laughs> when I got there, just the crew that we had, um, there were some cats, man. And, uh, I mean, there's a reason why ramping up into that 2012 season, um, just the culture that was being built there, um, was really, I don't know, man, like there was something, it was interesting to watch all the talent. And yet there was just these like very small, like missing components. And you could just, it allowed me to see for the first time, like championship, like what's the difference between a championship level team. And uh, I mean, at this level, a championship level team and just a team with a bunch of talent, because we got that all over the place right now, all over the NCAA, there's teams with talent, like crazy. And somebody was uh, uh, texting me. One of my friends is an LSU fan and he's texting me about, you know, do I think Brian Kelly will be successful at LSU? And <laughs> man, I love, like, I love, I love my like former head coach and respect him for being a head coach uh, or my head coach and giving me an opportunity. But I said, man, he has no excuse not to do well at LSU. He's got no excuse. Like no the excuse. talent there, the talent, like you can, you can pick whoever you want. And it's the same, it's the same for whoever's the head coach at Texas. It's the same for whoever's the head coach at USC. It's the same for whoever's the head coach at Florida. Like all these schools, uh, you just talent wise, it will ne- like it'll never be an excuse. So that's why my personal convictions are. I think you know when people are complaining about talent and stuff like that, we're we're blaming people, we're blaming platforms and organizations, and like at the end of the day, championship teams don't have anybody to blame because they're they're in unity like at a different level. Like they just sync together at a different level. And anybody that's been on a championship team can tell you that there is a different expectation between just the individual constituents of the overall collective consciousness of that team. Um, it's a special thing. And when you're a part of it, you know it. That's right. The word that I want to pull from that is special. You go to the national championship game, even losing that game. Yeah the way the program was being built, there's no way you guys didn't go into that off season feeling like we'll be back. Yeah, no, there was definitely, we definitely carried that, that vibe. Um, and I'll even say just for like being a part of that uh, national championship. The game that ultimately uh, came out in that game, especially after, a few just un- it just momentum stuff and just tr- drama going on in the background um, with I mean I, I know you guys remember kind of some of the Manti stuff and stuff. I mean there was stuff happening that were just factors behind the scenes that I'm not saying I mean that Alabama team was ridiculously talented <laughs> but like when we came to play man like we showed up we showed up that year at some games and it was just magical and. Yeah. There was something about that game where the magic wasn't there. 
Uh, I don't know if it's the person. <laughs> yeah, so Eddie Lacy. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Lacy, Nick Nick Saban on coaching steroids. I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> oh man, what was uh, the most what was the most fun game that year? There was a lot of classic games. The Stanford game you had going to Oklahoma, shutting up that fan base. Yeah, the USC sealing everything at the end of the yeah. year. Like, yeah. For that entire year, with all the Pittsburgh comeback. Which yeah. is fantastic. Shoot the Purdue game. Purdue game. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. What Crazy. game stood out the most from that season? Um, shoot, dude. Like I said, so many like special moments. Um uh, for me personally, the Oklahoma game meant a lot. Uh I was uh yeah, Texas kid, growing up a Texas fan, going into Norman and being able to go in there. And beat those guys just meant a lot. And um, it was actually super special as well because one of my former teammates had passed away um, the week before that high school teammates. And I got to wear his number. It was the first only time I ever wore wore number 21 in a tribute in the game. And actually uh, had a heck of a game like on ST and got the game ball. And it was just for that that type of moment – College game day, I believe, and just crazy scenario. It was, man, it was special. It was fun. And that's so true, man. You talk a lot, too, about just your experience at Notre Dame and what you've learned, especially being a part of special teams. Yeah. But they also talk about those those 40 years that come after the Notre Dame. And I know you've been doing so many things while you was at school because you had your – I mean, you was really good <laughs> while you was at school. But how did the 40 years of what Notre Dame – what you go for the sure. degree how did that translate into life after football for you yeah no i'm glad we're talking about this because i've been you know i was listening to the whole podcast before and um i'm really intrigued right now with just the state of college football and where we're at as is everybody because it's yeah. uh i don't know it's, it seems unpredictable at this moment it seems like <laughs> okay like what are we gonna do here because we just opened up a like a Pandora's box that we can't close. And, uh, yeah. And man, I really, um, I loved my time at, at, uh, Notre Dame and just the spirit of excellence, like on that place is undeniable. As far as my degree, my perspective on degree is probably different than like, you know, most people even going to Notre Dame, um, just because I come from, uh, an entrepreneurial household and, um, yeah. I believe that an education is really what you make it. Um, I don't believe it's a degree. I don't believe it's a piece of paper that tells you like, you know, and there are people that go and pursue that route for a very particular reason. And I think that there's that's special and it should, if it's special to you, then that's all that's important. But to me, like I was a philosophy major at Notre Dame <laughs> and so repping today <laughs> and, uh, and man, like, uh, people ask me all the time, oh, what are you planning on doing with that? And I was like, man, whatever I want. Like, because <laughs> I was looking to go to the, I was looking to go to the funnest classes at ND. Like the, the like professors that everybody was like, man, you got to go, you got to get in this person's class. And those were the special experiences, man. Like at a place like Notre Dame, yeah. like you can't do that anywhere else. You can't do that at, you know, uh, some of these other even state schools or whatever. Like Notre Dame is a special place to be able to, experience education in a completely different format and even like my degree as a philosophy major at notre dame 
I believe carries a lot of weight because of the language, the value that Notre Dame places in language arts and the celebration of arts. And that's what I'm most excited about, honestly, like in this era of college football, is I think we have the ability to see sports as an art form and artists like athletes as individual artists in a way that we've never been able to before. And this is where I think the NIL thing could shift in a very positive way if we're really cultivating and teaching kids to learn how to grow their own businesses, like just learn how to communicate, be you, be authentic, tell your story and document the process because it's interesting and people want to hear it. Um, like so many times we're chasing these idealistic views, especially when you're going into college, you're chasing these idealistic views of who you got to be. And people don't realize that that's, that's ultimately not what you want to chase. You don't want to chase that going into school because your expectations are probably going to be met with much more resistance than you anticipated. And some people can go in and they can slide in and they can do it all smooth and whatever. But then there's some people that face, you know, serious adversity, like breaking an ankle or blowing a knee out or whatever, like just different, you know, crazy circumstances that you can't really control. And to be able to focus on, uh, you know, just cultivating your authentic, the authentic expression of yourself is, I think college is one of the best places you can do that. Talking about that authenticity, you know, you go on from Notre Dame, you play in the CFL. Yeah. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I, you know, and I'm sure you'll be able to connect with this from your faith and your entrepreneurial background. I believe scripture says time and chance happens to us all. And, Mm -hmm. uh, 2017 injury yeah. and you meet someone by the name of Mike Montoya and just that meeting man no changes, so changes your life and, and takes you down a different path like yeah. just talk about that the beginning yeah, of that yeah. and what it led to totally um yeah so this is a unique part of my story for those of you that don't know um went up to Canada for a couple years Got to play. I, I swore to myself I'd never go play Canadian football, and then, <laughs> and then, then I did. Uh, just you know, one to Ain't go no get a shot. At me. Though. You know, you no man, no. I gained a whole new respect for you know uh, a league of talent that's unbelievable and a game that's really so fun. Yeah. Um, like I don't regret my time there at all. Um, Montreal was such a beautiful city. That's where I first spent my first year in the CFL. And then um, my second year at Toronto, got to win a Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts, which was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, at the beginning of that year, came in, um, had had a tryout with the New England Patriots uh, a few months before that. And they said, hey, like, if you get us some film at slot receiver, we would love to bring you in. Yeah, and of course. Maybe you try to work you in. <laughs> and so I was, <laughs> I was trying to get that film at slot receiver and um, <laughs> was really like on track to do that. Um, was getting great feedback uh, from the staff and kind of solidifying a number one role in the slot position. And three days into training camp, um, uh, just partially tore my groin. And um, as a running back or receiver, you guys know that that's not a good day. Uh, That can be season ending six to eight weeks, like um, for sure. And so, uh, but yeah, just as Sean was saying, uh, met this cat named Mike Montoya who came um, and and I didn't know what he was going to do at first. I just basically had a trusted friend that was like, hey, you got to see this guy. 
he does stuff different. And um, I'm telling you, like, he'll get you crazy results. And I was like, whatever, man. Like, this was a guy that I trusted. <laughs> and this, I mean, you guys know, like, as former athletes, like, when you are injured, you're doing whatever. Like, whatever yeah, it takes. Like, it's like at, whatever, just throw it at Yeah, me. you're like, if you've got somebody that can cast a spell and make this go away, I'm going <laughs> to, like, make it happen. I'll and so, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, man, this guy started to explain to me like how he was about to do this electrotherapy on me that was different than, you know, tens and stem and stuff that I was used to. And I was like, sounds good. And he was like, do you know that your body runs on electricity? And that question to me, like really just, I don't know what it was. I don't, I think maybe it just like the philosophy mind or whatever, but it just caught me like something about it was like, that seems like a really obvious, like, question and like an easy easy answer but like um what do you mean by that so that started the conversation but after he finished this application on me i felt like i was 25 percent better like i couldn't walk around the room without limping and then i was walking no problem and i was like how does this there's no way that this just happened so i was kind of like skeptical about it and he kept coming back doing the application 10 days later I was 100% getting ready to play in the first preseason preseason game of the year. And I was like, man, this doesn't happen. Like this is <laughs> this is like disbelief. <laughs> yeah, like I've watched like uh Sean you mentioned, you know, being a believer, being someone that like believes in the power of prayer yeah. and uh just that love can like create instantaneous healing like right there. I've seen it happen before in kind of a metaphysical way. Like this to me was like one of those creative miracles. It was like love coming in and being like, boom, like yeah. I'm going to rock your world right here. I'm going to rock <laughs> your paradigm of what you think like healing looks like. And that's when I was, I was hooked on that from that day on. Like, I was just like, why is this not everywhere? And why are people not like, I'm not talking about just athletes and performance. Cause I love all that. And that's a passion of mine, but like, why is this not, uh why is this in yeah this this type of innovative tech like why is it not in every pt um clinic in the nation um and it's a really interesting like deep dive and study for like how um i ended up choosing to kind of go down that path and really working on technology that uh i believe develops the future of what we will you know know as neurotherapy which is going to be using uh, modern day electrotherapeutic applications or bioelectric applications to um, facilitate natural, uh, accelerated, sustainable healing in the body in ways that you know you see on like movies, you see on like Marvel, it's like stuff like that. almost like a man. Yeah, man. The, like, the <laughs> yeah, there there really is Malik. There's such crazy technology around accelerated healing. It's just. Um, science in and of itself is kind of like a religion these days. Like there's multiple denominations and streams of thought. And like, you got to like choose your camp and you defend it with your life and, you know, defy logic and reason. And just like, I'm going to defend this perspective because it's now like charged beyond something that's actually just science and just right. looking at it. And, um, and so in order to really move things along, we got to push for something a little bit more, uh, I think the best way to say it would be like purple, not red or blue, not politically <laughs> charged or whatever. We got to be thinking, especially in terms of medicine, like science, stuff like that. We got to be thinking in terms of purple 
And we have to be able to have conversations about this stuff that aren't so charged that we can't get anything done. So. Cam's a yeah, real one, man. You didn't think he was going to get some Dr. Oz info on here. It's very intriguing because, you know, just going back and reading the story, how you met Mike and now how you build this company, Adam, Adam Technologies. And then you get to a point where your younger brother. Yeah. Deals with an injury in his life. Yeah. And he chooses rather than surgery. Yeah. To go ahead and use this type of technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. for his healing process and to get back on the field. Just talk about that being connected to your younger brother and him entrusting what you've gone through and yeah. developed to help him in his path. No surgery? Yeah. yeah. So Malik, that was, uh, was your, was your injury compound? Uh, it wasn't compound, but it definitely tore up everything in my leg. Yeah. So, <laughs> so TJ's, TJ's was like that. It was, it was intense. Um, it wasn't compound, so it wasn't like Dax. Uh, but and he, if you go back and look, uh, you can look even at the uh, uh, the TV, like the TV film or TV footage. You can see that TJ resets his ankle like on the ground, which is crazy. Wow. <laughs> but like he reset his ankle on the field, and I think that that was one of the reasons like that made this possible in a lot of ways, I believe um, by resetting that ankle so quickly um, because the dislocation was just millimeters off. And when we looked at it um, and if you understand how all biological, all biological tissue uh, is connected through electrochemical reactions, but it's predetermined and governed by the electrical component of that. And so understanding, um, that ultimately that tissue is designed and wants to grow back together. Like it has a, its own unique molecular code. That's very uh, specific to that sort of tissue. Yeah. And that tissue wants to grow back together. It wants to heal because that's what our bodies have been designed to do. They've been designed to, um, uh, to biologically heal themselves. And there's a biological healing process, but in today's, like in today's, like the way that we look about that today, a lot of times we've looked at it as, oh, well, this has to have surgery because these things are torn and we use terminology like complete tear and things like that. And a complete tear, like you can talk to a doctor that actually does imaging. A complete tear doesn't mean like, I'll give you an example uh, of this piece of paper right here. Like a complete tear doesn't mean like this. It means like it can mean that. That's a complete tear. And so when we look at this imaging and we start to uh, like look at it through a different lens, that's really what it is. It's just a different uh, lens at recovery. And when we looked at this, we thought this can like, we can accelerate a biological healing here. So um, we can use our technology to really just create the, the environment necessary for his body to heal naturally. And it did all the ligaments that uh, we were told, you know, would never heal back properly. The bones that um, they didn't think were going to be able to grow back together effectively. Um, they did. And the imaging, you know, shows that it did very favorably as well. And the alternative alternative to that is screws and plates. And I like my little, <laughs> yep. 
my little and my my middle brother like he broke his hand before i knew anything about the atom and like he's got screws and plates in his hands and he's already got like onset arthritis all yeah. my like yeah. all my buddies that all my buddies that have had these surgeries by the time they're 30 they're feeling like the arthritic effect effects pretty strongly and man that like uh yeah man and so my my passion with this is if we can create an alternative that I think it's going to be better short term um, as well. I think that athletes will actually get back faster um, if they choose molecular surgery sometimes, but they'll also have sustainable healing for the long term. That is their own biological tissue that's designed to communicate with the nervous system effectively and doesn't create things uh, residual arthritis and things like that. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that is a lot of the kind of 30,000 foot overview passion of, of Adam and like what Adam technologies is, uh, we definitely want to, you know, set a precedence for really just looking at it right now as physical therapy and trying to keep it like simple because we can execute there really well and we can increase movement functionality, reduce pain without any sort of like opioids or, um, you know, uh, um, just pharmaceuticals that are pain masking and really engaging things at the source and at the neurological level. And Sean, like what's really exciting about that though, from the performance side is like, when you start talking about the nervous system and like what you can do for performance, like it gets crazy, man. So do you foresee like big picture? Cause like I said, I, I'm intrigued and I'm saying to myself, how can a college football program not see this and say on a daily basis after practice or just getting our guys back to 100% health during the week, how can we not use this mindset of this technology to help yeah. and aid our strength and conditioning on a daily basis? Do you see it getting to that point in the future? Totally. We, uh, I've been talking to the, um, the human performance director at TCU right now. Um, Coach Kaz Kazidi is a guy that um, just on a personal level been able to connect with. And as far as the philosophy of what we're doing, uh, I believe he totally gets that. He's been um, just a great support, like overall for the tech and just an advocate for like what we're doing. Um, and I've really enjoyed just being able to like find relationships like that where people are and, and it has to be is new. So you got to like be able to think outside the box with this stuff. Like this is not, this is not for everybody. And I'm not trying to be for everybody. Maybe it will be one day, but like there's going to be pioneers that get behind this and their football programs are going to like, they're going to experience the benefits of their athletes being neurologically conditioned. Like, because and what you can that's the next step. I mean, you know, I think a lot of these programs and I can even speak to uh, Notre Dame because I tried to bring data science towards Notre Dame, you know, and it's just like in a recovery standpoint or even analytics when you're training and stuff, everybody is focused on that. In my opinion, the old paradigm of yeah. it's data, it's weight lift, it's surgery, it's a STEM machine, you know, but like you said, we discovered new things and the stuff you've seen on Netflix where they using frequencies to build back things yep. together because that's in nature and they just know how yep. to, yeah, that stuff's real. And that's the missing piece of what, in my opinion, like you said, college football is changing with the NIL. 
And I think yeah. it's changing the mentality on recovery because of how important the money is getting. So this type of technology and stuff, like you said, it's I think is a spiritual connection that you have to have yeah. and believing in medicine like this because it's not something physical where you can like put a plate and screws and we patch it up together and good luck. 30 years but then but the data the data is pretty i believe undeniable too like right yeah. now we're working we're working on a kid that chose to be he heard tj's story and he wants to do molecular surgery with his acl and oh, he's wow. 10 weeks he's 10 weeks out right now and he was practicing with a soccer team the other day and his imaging looks remarkable man like yeah. um and you know, for like, we've kind of let them know, like, man, this is, this is uncharted water. So like, yeah, we believe we have an idea, like, we have an idea of what we're going to do. And he knows, he knows, like, you know, <laughs> I can go get surgery later if I want to, but I want to try to play my senior of soccer, even if I can only do it like half the season or whatever. So for him, he's not a guy looking to go play later on in college and stuff like, so this is a different scenario. And he's just like intrigued. I work, I worked on his brother for a labrum a labrum tear that he had and he got remarkable results and was able to play, you know, the final part of his senior year of baseball, like a few years ago. And he just came back and was like, Hey, I know this works for my bro. Here's my scenario. I want to try it with you guys. I love what y'all are doing. And like, uh, those are the kind of scenarios and stories that ultimately lead to like really cool revolutionary moments and actually consciousness and the way that we think about, uh, you know, how are we going to do medical, you know, growing yeah, up with art? Like, True. Yeah. Well, he's definitely got, Cam's definitely got something and, on the horizon. Yeah. So like, I, like every time when I'm, when I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this from my kids now. I'm seeing this for the next generation. Like I want this something to be, I want this to be something that really stimulates generational consciousness towards um, uh, a type of healing that is beyond just masking pain. Like we got to stop, we got to stop treating pain. Like it's anything other than a symptom. Like it is a symptom, like pain is symptomatic. And we have to utilize that as an indicator to show us what is the source here. And what really gets fun about this is like the last part of what I really love to do, which is always leading back to identity and always, you know, like working with a bunch of injured athletes, we're always able to, you know, talk about identity. We're always able to get down to different fears and things that like are existing there, even at the subconscious level. And you're able to address those fears and guys, fearless athletes that are neurologically conditioned. That's the future. Like that's where you get a Patrick Mahomes. Who's like, he like fundamentally, he's excellent at the fundamentals, but his ability to creatively do stuff that you've never seen before is bananas. Like how, how, like, how awesome is that, that you can get a QB that can just, you know, is comfortable yeah. enough to just do these sidearms, jump, like not like feet, not planted on the ground, throwing underneath a player's arm. Like that type of stuff only comes from this fearlessness, this, this fearlessness that um, ultimately athletes are now they're, they're chasing that they're chasing. Like, how do I get to that stage? Because I think wouldn't Patrick Mahomes is 40 time. Like, Peyton Manning's yeah. like speed he or something like that. When he runs in the game, I don't know how they don't catch him. So That's it's not really like this is again. These are the these are the tangibles. Like these are the things that we measure as like, oh, this <laughs> defines an athlete. And a lot like the greatest that ever lived, like Barry Sanders. You can't measure creativity. Like, it, 
yeah, man, his, and, and it was neurologically crazy too, like his acceleration and stuff like that, but we couldn't measure, like we weren't measuring his vectors and his acceleration capacity and different, like we weren't measuring that stuff. We were like saying, oh, he's, he runs a four, six, 40, and he's, yeah, he's, you know, five, he's five, seven, 200 pounds, blah, blah. And so we were labeling him as that. Right. And because he went out there and was putting up, you know, NCAA 2004 numbers on like in season mode, just winning the Heisman trophy and doing what he was doing. He was able to go, you know, be, you know, an iconic player in the league, but we have to like, remember like, like those particular anomalies and what, like why they're the greatest. They're the greatest because they were fearless on the field, man. There was just something like their neurological creativity, their ability to effectively solve problems, you know, better than the next guy is what made them the better running back on the depth chart. Not because they could bench more or they could, you know, run 40 faster. You build on the field. These are all things that are outside of the field of, you know, we're so used to, all right, we got to get these ladder drills in, got to run these heels, we got to do these workouts. But this is the type of training that's, you got to sit down, you got to, you know, do like these programs, but that's what's really giving you that extra inch. You know, you talk about LeBron James using a million dollars to take care of his body. I believe some of that is this stuff. Just like Steph Curry. There you can't tell, you know, Steph Curry's in in uh in California where he's getting different treatment, like those salt baths where yeah. he does the floating tank. Yeah, yeah. It's neurologically yeah. calm. Like, yeah. It's so much, yeah, we need that in college sports, but it's such an old, rusty business format of churning farm players out where they they don't really care about the recovery still is going to physical therapy still yeah. and uh uh the only thing good in the physical therapy in any college football facility is the ice bath and the cold tub i met that just on that note and then i want to i want to bring something else up see if you guys want to talk about it really quick but um <laughs> Uh, on that note, I met the founder, like the guy that invented the TENS unit. And mm. this guy does not talk about TENS units anymore. He talks about essential oils. Like he, he like mm. promotes essential oils all day long. He, you know, and I talked to another doctor from Jerusalem who's like, man, when the research comes out about what TENS units have done to actually affect tissue from being able to nerve, like think about all the non-contact injuries that have been uh that we see year in and year out and like knees ankles like when you put those those sticky pads on your leg and you're trying to recover where are they putting them and all the muscle capacitors that are supposed to neurologically support your knee and all the ligaments in there or your ankle and all the ligaments in there and so if the science comes out that that stuff was actually neurologically affecting players in a negative way uh, I'll be interested to see what happens there in the lawsuits that could potentially, <laughs> but this is why you got to use electricity intelligently. You know, like you can't, obviously you can't just stick your finger in a light socket. Like that's not going to be a good day for you, but right. like we got to think of electricity, like with the versatility of something like water. In fact, like you wouldn't have water if it wasn't for electricity because electricity foundationally is how atoms exchange valence electrons. So like, there's so much versatility, like just the, the realm, the realm of like electricity is life. Everything that is life or bios has to be defined electrically. That's why we measure it electrically when we're measuring life. Like right. if you want to measure a life source, it's got to be measured through a waveform that we measure through 
electron flow. So, um, okay. The one thing that I wanted to like, I wanted to bring up and we can talk about it just briefly or whatever you guys think, but have you guys talked about NFTs on here just in regard to NIL and like all of that? Yeah, I'm big on NFTs, you know. It's a yeah. new age thing for guys. Like people still trying to get what totally. it is, but I'll be on it. I'll be on it. <laughs> I mean, I I think it's an interesting conversation just in regards to NIL because I think that once athletes figure out what NFTs are, uh, the whole conversation of all this stuff changes. I mean, just like night and day. Um, have you guys watched? Have you guys seen on Apple TV the Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and yeah. uh, Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. You know, you know that part where she like uh, she comes to the people in the network and they're like scolding her for like going out of line and going off script and stuff like this. Yep. And then she just puts her hands on the table. And she's like, "Are you guys done yet? Like, are you done? You don't realize who's driving the like driving the ship around here now. Like, you guys are hands off. Like, I have complete control of this. This is me." Right. And, the athletes are going to realize that at some point they're going to be like, we have complete control of how this thing goes because without us, like you don't exist. Mm -hmm. And in the realm of NFTs, like all of that content and digital, like art or not. It could be blockchain. Dude, all of it. All of it can. As creating even groups. Like, you know, some people that have these NFTs, they're super expensive because if you can buy it, you're in a group of expensive people. Exactly. About whatever you want. It's crazy. Yeah, but, but even beyond that, like, think about it like this, Malik. Uh, think about it as, like, consciousness that you want to get behind. So, like, for example, you and, like, what you stand for as Malik Zaire and your, like, your brand of who you are. Like, you want to get behind consciousness and projects that are, like, pushing towards things that ultimately you want, you know. And this is where we, I think NFTs allow us to see things in the term, like, as they are as an art form and their, like, relevance as an art form and then also gives us the ability to start talking about legacy in a way that we you know i think i think that's what needs to come back into a, the conversation with all these topics when you're talking about problems you need to bring legacy into it because you got to like what does this mean for the next generation like what does this mean for you know 20 years down the road and the kids that are going to be playing 20 years down the road we have to be thinking like that because uh Things are shifting and they're shifting so fast, like yeah. so fast. So <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm stoked to see artificial it. intelligence, you know, using a neural <laughs> development, we're battling against artificial AI. So hey, that's bad. biological intelligence is the, is the answer to that. So yeah. that's the answer. That's why I'm on your side. I'm not on. It is, man. I think, I think, so my, like, uh, since we're just going there on this, so like, my, <laughs> it's not a my, football chat anymore. We're talking. Yeah, about we're going football. into Notre Dame philosophy now. Um, <clears throat> so, like, my like belief system is always like I'm always favorable towards the human race because I believe the Creator favors uh, like humans. I believe He fa favors creation. I believe that love favors created, like you know, the creation that is bios, and so I think that the more we tap into what we understand as biological intelligence and what the uh, man just you can get your mind blown just just understanding how self-sufficient we really can be in the realm of biology it's just nuts like the amount of power that's in a 
like in an oak tree can like power a city if we really learned how to like channel that properly. So I think that things ultimately like in here, like this is long, like long, long term, but like I feel that things end up actually going back towards a garden state and towards, you know, more like something like you would see off of. Yeah. Like you would see off of Avatar or something like that versus uh, <laughs> versus, you know, this post-apocalyptic, very like, you know, really. Uh, um, Daunting things. They're very. Yeah. Just heavy. Like heavy. it makes you like really feel like, oh, well, I hope I'm not part of that generation. Yeah, that you're like, oh, gets killed by all the robots. Like <laughs> it's like such a terrible thing. And then we're putting that on our kids like psychologically. It's like. Terrible. Like, no, let's not treat that like a joke. Let's be let's be proactive on how, you know, we can do this well and like yeah. do this with the next generation in mind. So right. speaking yeah. of NIL, you probably missed out on one of the biggest NIL moments that <laughs> existed at Notre Dame. Yeah. Your picture is still making money to this day. October 19, 2013. Everybody knows the iconic photo that was taken. Yeah. Iconic. And, you know, I had to do my research on it because, you know, I looked at it again. And I'm like, wait a minute. I wonder if Cam actually saw the photographer when he snapped the picture. <laughs> just you know, there are locked eyes, moments. 70 yards away. Just saw it. Just like, here we go. Just get and then it. I thought about it and I said, no, there's no way you saw that guy snap that picture. <laughs> Eagle eyes, man. I got I mean, you was Eagle like, powers. Like he was locked in like he knew where he was at. And the face was just so like, man, I don't know how you did it to this day, but that's that's an NFT. That's an NFT. Exactly. That's right. I'm gonna that's an NFT. That's a million dollar NFT. Exactly. That's right. That's why I'm not worried about NIL anymore. And you know, I don't think other athletes have to be because they have the ability to do that. Like uh people don't realize that their biomechanic, their unique biomechanic of running a route that the way that they do and they're the only one that does that, that's a unique piece of art that nobody else has done. Like, you start looking at just the way players move, that now can be determined as art, which I think is fantastic because we are entertainers, and we, like, we're... I, I, I really believe this could be an awesome time, you know, to start redefining sport as um, a creative art form, you know, over just a performing art because... You know, performing arts good, and that's part of it. Like we love the competition, we love to like compete, and we love to have these conversations about why, like, what Notre Dame needs to do to be the best. And you know, other schools are having those com- those conversations about their schools, and like all that's fun. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, if we're not focusing on the mental health of these athletes and like yeah. their futures and what's going on next, and teaching them how to, you know, integrate into a society, and that their identity isn't associated with a sport. Man, that's 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 big stuff that we have to start doing for the sake of again the next generation because too many I've I've lost friends in this industry because their identity was latched on to something that wasn't uh, wasn't truly their identity and um, and man like we we have the ability to like shift that and change the conversation right now man that's I'm on this show I'm on this yeah. show because. Like we're talking and we're able to talk about stuff. And Malik texted me. He said, we're just going to be real on here. And I'm like, yes, that's what I'm all about. So like, let's do it. Let's be real. Let's have these conversations about how we can effectively make sport for us again, instead of making it to where, you know, we create this, 
you know, weird, uh, you know, performance based industry thing where we're giving athletes guilt trips about skipping, you know, the, the last bowl game. That's not the national championship because they're making a business decision. And they've been told that like, this is business from there. And like from the time they were, and yeah, the time they were really a kid. I mean, I see some of these, I see some of these uh, training now, like professional athletes and it's sick. It's like, y'all got to just have fun, man. Just have fun. Like go find some place to have fun again. Like we no got a trainer. No, my kids not having no trainer till at least high school. Cause come on, what do I need? A, no a, man, a trainer where every day we doing lifting and stuff. It's like, go play sports, get into chess club, get you yeah. thinking different. You know, my just, daughter's six years old and our coach was talking about how he went and scouted the other team for the championship <laughs> game. I was like, bro, like, come on, man. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like I just, I just wanted one of those Obi One like kind of moments where he just like does the mind control thing and is like go home and rethink your life. And like, <laughs> that was like that was one of those moments. I was just like, bro, like there is so much more that yeah. we can be doing to contribute to you know these people having fun on a Saturday morning and just having an experience that they enjoy. And it can't always be. And dude, I love to win as much as anybody else. I'm Malik can tell you, like, I am a competitor, man. Like, I loved Malik because I was like, this guy's a gamer. As soon as he gets <laughs> onto the field, like, like we just vibe. I mean, me and him went in against Arizona State, almost came back, and like, like, like it, and it was I, dude, I was stoked. I was like, me and Malik are about to get in here and come back and win this game. And there's just you know, something about him, that might be we asked LL Nation last yeah. week. What was the most upset they've ever been at the Notre Dame game? I think that might be in my top three. I might have to make some yeah. adjustments. I was Arizona upset State that, Arizona State, that Arizona State game. Bro, had I was sick. I was I was heated. I was heated. I was heated too, man. I was crushed, dude. Uh, Corey, I love you. You're like one of my favorites. Oh, like yeah. the oh, one man. drop of Corey Robinson's life, just on that curl, man. I know you remember it. And then I got dusted down the sideline. I was trying so hard to make that play. <laughs> uh, corners are fast, man. They're so fast. I got to play corner, actually, so I guess I'm kind of fast. Let's have some fun, right? Because I've been on this quest to find out who is the absolute best athlete ever in the football program in Notre Dame. Okay. And athlete right. goes beyond just the gridiron. Yeah. So, I've asked everybody this question. Your time in Notre Dame. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what this is going, what this answer is going to be. At your time in Notre Dame, who was the best hooper on the team? Oh my gosh, the best hooper. That's so hard for me to answer because I never played basketball with any of the guys. I was see, that yeah. I was that white guy that couldn't play basketball, so <laughs> I just, didn't, just didn't do it. <laughs> I played soccer, man. I grew up in like, <laughs> you know, uh, white suburban Texas Bible Belt yeah. area, man. Like I was playing travel <laughs> soccer. <laughs> uh, uh, this is such shoot. a case though for Kev, man. Like you said, man, you know, the basketball for the, for the football team hooping was really like. Well, he had to hear the stories team. though. He had to hear the stories because I know you guys trash talk each other about basketball all the time. Dude, what was funny was like, uh, 
Dude, I feel like you and Ev went in all the time on basketball talk. Well, the like, time, Ev, yo, Ev was the most was competitive, but he would always talk stuff about basketball. And I'm like, he was, we play basketball, you know what I mean? He, we great times with Ev, man. I miss Ev. We got to get him on. Yeah, that. man. Yeah, he's special. He spoke, yeah, that guy, like, he was a special athlete, man. Um, yeah. Uh, he was, um, I don't know. Like I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch him play basketball. Other than some of the highlights I saw, you know, of him playing when we were getting recruited at the same time, and I was like, okay, this kid, this kid can play in multiple. Like he's versatile in multiple areas. Um, so I'm like, you know, Sean, he plays basketball like Russell Westbrook. What's wrong with that? I'm just letting you know who he plays like. I'm not saying it's good or bad. So basically, you're saying it's outside shot. I can't wait to talk to Ev now. Yeah, he's basically saying he doesn't have an outside shot. That's really no, no, no. I'm saying you should be saying gonna, that when the man's not on the show. I'm saying he's going to go 94 feet. Okay. He's not passing it. Okay. He's going for all rebounds, all defensive plays. That's Ev. He take He's taking the last shot. Don't ask if it's tied up. 11 to 11. <laughs> And we looking for somebody. He's taking it. Don't let him take it out of bounds. Is he the type to call foul though when it's game point? One hundred. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's not about to let you walk out that game with he, with him feeling like he got fouled when it was just a bad shot. No way. No way. But he's hey, ready. I'm glad we're talking about this because <laughs> I sit and offline Malik and I talk about the quarterbacks that have come through the Notre Dame program, yeah. especially under Brian Kelly. Yeah. And it's like, as you touched on it early on, like just obscene amount of talent on yeah. the roster. And you're looking around yeah. like, yo, what's going on? Why haven't, why, seemingly, why does it seem like quarterbacks during your time and then after you left just haven't been able to develop and take that next step to become elite quarterbacks at Notre Dame? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess it just d depends on what you define as a leader. You're talking about like first round draft pick type guys, like, uh, you know, because I, I feel like we've had great court. I mean, I've, Ian Book, Deshaun, even, I mean, Malik, like Malik's time right when I left, like it was like he was playing, at, he was playing at another level, bro. And, um, and then Deshaun comes in and like picks up and and he plays at another level, like just, you know, turns on his game. And uh, and that just, again, shows the talent that's always there. You just you can be as great as Malik was and like get on that, like get in the Heisman race and do all that. And then you've got a guy like Deshaun that comes in behind him. And it's just that's how it was a running back. Like every time there was a, a the, the ability to like go in and make a case for you know you being yeah, the guy meant so much like ah uh, like, yeah every time you got out there it's like damn it might just be my last just cuz just cuz of whatever like you never know yeah. So. yeah i just i think when it comes to your question though i think uh maybe the better question is you know what would stop a quarterback that is at the elite level from seeing a legacy like Notre Dame and not wanting to be a part of something like that and going and creating something that's like, I mean, the last QB that we had in that, or like that we had that had this sort of hype that I think 
all of Notre Dame nation kind of looks for is like that Brady Quinn type. And um, I don't know, man, like I'm all for the gamers. Like I just, I like, I, like, I, I like the, I like the guys that are just fearless. Like when they go out there, man, like that's, that's the quarterback that I want to be with. I want to be with the guy that like, you know, he just knows at the end of the day that the cats around him are all that he needs to go win. Yeah. And dude, when you get a quarterback that's got that type of like that kind of confidence, um, it's different. Like there's a lot of guys that feel like they know that they can do it like themselves. And I like that. I think that you need that in a way. I think that you need that almost like confidence that almost comes across as like cockiness or arrogance sometimes to like some, but then there's also like, as the quarterback, you have to understand that you help define and set the tone for the collective consciousness of that offense. And ultimately that team, like, and there is, there are ways that, I mean, your mindset is so important to leading that, like, um, and it can be anybody. It doesn't have to be the quarterback, but the quarterback, like, you know, he, there's something special about that position, man. Like they're just, it defines the the physical momentum of the game that actually like translates into what I believe like the metaphysical momentum of the overall team. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if that completely answered the question. But <laughs> no, I, I think you opened my eyes with your original statement when you talked about the abundance of talent, because we deal yeah. with it all the time, talking to our listeners and LL nation. And they constantly talk about the, you know, Five number five stars that Alabama and Georgia have. And we only yeah. have two or three on the roster. Yeah. Until we clear close that gap, we won't be able to win a national championship. And that to me, it's kind of lazy to just go ahead and pick yeah. that low hanging fruit. It's an excuse. Yeah. And just this. That's where you have to get coaching and development, which look, if I know my team isn't as talented as a coach, I I'm excited because that means yeah. I need to coach harder. That gives me an opportunity to show just how good of a coach I can be. Yeah. To put my team in a position to show that they're good enough to stack up against these guys. And it's did not y'all hard. watch did y'all watch 12 Mighty Orphans? The I have the not. Movie? I have oh, seen Okay. Seen Check it out. Like I think it's one of the most amazing things that ever happened in high school football, like history. Yeah. Um like the whole nation got behind, you know, this group of individuals, but ultimately. It's about a coach that leaves a good head, like head football coaching job at Temple, goes to a small school or small orphanage in Fort Worth and develops a football team that ends up competing with the best teams in Texas in the 1930s and develops the develops the wishbone offense and the shotgun offense simultaneously. So innovation, creativity and culture, the things that you're talking about are what define like these winning teams, there yeah. aren't like people are looking for this in, in the talent pool. And I'm telling you guys, talent is everywhere. Like it's everywhere. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I think I just retweeted something about like all the stars right now that we're watching in the divisional playoff games, yeah. like how many five stars are in that list? I mean, like it, talent and creativity, you got it. Like it's creativity. Like we got to start, we got to start looking at creativity as a indicator for potential uh, like 
I don't know how to put it, but potential like dominant, like dominating play, like players that again are fearless and have the ability to innovate and create in ways that are unique and can get comfortable with their team and do the stuff that again, like we were talking, like a guy like Patrick Mahomes is able to do because yeah. he's so like comfortable with his like his team and he set the tone of that collective consciousness in such a way that it's like things just happen or like Brady, like Brady as <laughs> another great example, like Brady was just like, things were just falling into his lap. It felt, it felt like it was just, everything was happening the way that like, you just know Tom Brady's gonna give you a run for it at the end because right. he's Tom Brady and he's got those intangibles kind of like Michael Jordan always had, like yeah. just there's something about him that when he steps on the court, he just knows that uh, like I'm a I'm a huge part of what makes this sport special. Yeah. And dude, that level of thinking as a dangerous level of thinking. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that's where you're going to start to see uh, you'll see the special things. That I know we all want to see at Notre Dame through like a team that ends up coming into unity in ways that are just unique because there's so many ways to be divided right now, like with all the NIL stuff and all the drama outside of like, it's a really great opportunity for a team to come in and be extremely disruptive if they want to by coming into unity and like creating that level of communication. That's absolutely seamless. And, um, and again, when you're on a team like that, you know, it's special. You just feel it. It's just different. There's something yeah. different about it. Yeah. So, all right, Cam, you have to answer this question because this podcast is a chocolate chip oatmeal raisin podcast, okay? Okay, all right. Oatmeal Shoot raisin or chocolate chip? Which you ever have to eat? And it's only one answer, baby. I actually like the uh, the chocolate chip oatmeal raisin cookies. From Pop Bellas. Or I like the, yeah, I like the blended like okay. the blended version. Okay. If I'm just, we go, we if I have to choose time. between the two, I'm choosing chocolate chip. Okay. Chocolate, chocolate chip with milk is just like, you can't go wrong. But like, if I'm getting it my way, I'm getting the blend. I'm getting the hybrid. See, I like it. Cam, what did you think about that performance by that uh, particular quarterback for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good performance, which wouldn't you say? Dude, I heard you guys talking about this earlier. Oh man, Malik is like uh, one of the biggest haters I've. Ever, I, bro, I Malik, I don't know how you hate on him, man. He is a gamer. Like he's a total gamer, man. Yeah, but gamers got to win too. Now I, I like that he's entertaining. But shoot, yeah, I go, that's I true. Concert if I want that, that's true. Know, he does get that curse of the, of, the, of the Buffalo Bills that he's dealing with. We could get Doug Flutie on here to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, if his entertainment can uh, equal some more wins, I'll be a Josh Allen fan too. Yeah, I think you'll see it. I think you'll see it in the future. I think uh, what we saw, you know, what we've seen this last two years is the beginning of a like really cool rivalry that um, will continue to define itself. I think uh, um, just in the competition of two like brilliant athletes that are yeah. able to, you know, lead their teams in a way that I think that was one of the funnest games I've watched in a while in the NFL, man. Like, I mean, oh, obviously everybody was saying it. This last weekend was nuts. It was yeah. just, I mean, just wait you got the one this weekend with the chiefs and the Bengals. Uh, that might even be topping that dude. That's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, man. Joe Burrow's fun. Ooh, He's fun. That's right, you heard so, that? 
Yeah. Creative, fun, fundamental. Exactly, man. That's <laughs> that's what I that's what I like about I like about him. He just he's got a swagger and like something mm-hmm. about him. I know you guys I think you were talking about him about being a top five quarterback and all of this. And I think that it would be uh I think that he's definitely one of the most confident quarterbacks in the league right now. Um, I think he's a top five at his confidence level as he should be. And um, that's how you develop into an actual, you know, where everybody is undisputed. Yeah. That's like one of the top quarterbacks in the league that gets you there. So I think he's on track to be in, you know, something special in the league. Well, I hope you can uh, be here to support Malik neurologically on Monday because uh, his Bengals, more than likely, <laughs> will be on vacation, and uh, he's going to need that support. Because I'm yeah. not going, I'm not giving him any support. That's okay. Yeah. I don't need it. Look, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna torture him for a full hour. Yeah, I played the best he could and couldn't get it done. Joe Burrow got to just play one percent better, and we in the Super Bowl, baby. He might get me. He has to play one percent better than who? One percent better than what? Allen played. Do you see the game that Josh Allen just put on? I'm sorry. Joe Burrow just has to be 13 seconds better. That's all we need. Bingo country stand up. What if if playoff P is the one with the ball with 13 (laughs) seconds? Joe Burrow's on the sideline. What are you talking about? We're not even talking about the fact that Josh Allen is not good because, first of all, who chooses tails and heads or tails? You're being very – Who who chooses tails and heads or tails? It's heads. Everybody chooses tails. So, yeah, he not only lost the game, but he lost twice in one game. Who chooses tails? Oh, my gosh. I never choose tails because he's always ahead. Ahead, ahead. You know, so I, I never choose like tails as a captain. No, that's what I'm saying. Never, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. I would like to point out that you are being totally dismissive of Patrick Mahomes in this game. I understand you love Joe Burrow, but there is another dude that's going to be throwing the ball around. The oh, just man. Just like KD. Just yeah. like KD. He's going to get his 40. I, that, you think that? Yeah. I'm but, sure of that. But we just, I just, I know I would never bet against Patrick Mahomes. That's all I'm saying. Like, I love Joe Burrow. I think he's amazing. I like, I like to celebrate all athletes, individual artistry, and like, I respect it. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is a magician, bro. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) and then when it comes to scenarios like this, um, he, uh, he's, he's definitely made his presence known over the last four years, and he doesn't look like he's stopping anytime soon. So, We did the show yesterday, right? So we end the show, and I'm watching TV, and I had not seen the Travis Kelsey clip post game, and Kelsey's like, "Yeah, that like we made that play up on the fly." And he's like, "That wasn't the route that was called." See, they can say like, anything when you win. You can say like, anything. Andy sends in the play, and we're in the huddle, and he's like, "I tell Patrick, look, I'm not running that route. I'm yeah. just going to run to the open space." Yeah. And Patrick says, okay. And they go to the line of scrimmage, and you hear Patrick say, do it, do it. Yeah. And he's talking to Kelsey, like, yeah, do it. That's I cool. see the same space, do it. And that's why he double clutches on the throw to give him time to get to the open space. That type of special, dude, we talked special about man. this. Yeah. Who has, at the end of games, there is no other team that has a trio that can hit the switch. Like the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, everybody knows that. That 
<laughs> but like, look at that man. Like Patrick Mahomes, he's like a composer, and he's got you know he's got his symphony, and he's got those he's got those guys that uh, if they got that level of confidence and they got the they have the confidence that you know Patrick can get them the ball in situations oh, like yeah. that. Dude, again, that's the stuff that you like look for that you know is special because nobody's just doing that stuff. No, like that's the artistry um, and everything. Exactly. About. Yeah, exactly. It's the ability to improvise in a scenario where it's all on the line and like to creatively solve the problem more effectively than your opponent. And like what happens most of the time with like these teams is they get too conservative in areas where they, you know, are ahead or what, like, and they stop using their creativity out of fear of getting beat. And that's well, when you're. Bro, I don't know. Like you, you can't let Tom Brady just get that sort of momentum or maybe you just can't not let him get that sort of yeah. momentum. I don't know, yeah. but I don't know which one it is, but uh, there's definitely something about keeping your pedal on the gas. I'm a proponent of that. So, the forward that you go, Cam, you have to have, you know, the return of Harry Heastan. Everybody's excited. Yeah. Malik tells me all the time that Harry used to get it crunk in practice. Like, you know, you'd be over here, all of a sudden you hear Harry, like, on the other side of the field, just going in. Like, yeah. give me a Harry Heastan story that you remember from your time in Notre Dame. Dude, I want to turn, Malik, you'll, I think you'll get this. I want to turn Harry Heastan's uh, jump that he does, like when he gets like when he gets mad, you know, like that next level mad. He turns into a cartoon character, and like both of his feet go like out, but they're, his heels are together, and he jumps like straight up, and he just grabs his hat and throws it on the ground yeah, every time. It's a classic. He the hat. <sighs> oh man, dude! But a guy that's respected by his room. Um, Dude, there wasn't any any position coach I don't think that was respected as much as as Coach Heastand was with his group and the talent that he puts into the league year in and year out is like I mean it's it's undeniable. So um, I got to give I got to give those players credit too because obviously like they 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 have helped with that uh, reputation that he has. But man, like awesome dude, um, just. Yeah, man. I just think his players are connected to him. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. you can be, you can, you players can, you know, they can like you, they can uh, deal with you or put up with you or whatever. But when your players are connected, you know, that's, uh, again, that's the special stuff. That's the stuff that you got to have. You got to have, um, it's not just about business at that point. There's something beyond that. And um, uh, I think that, Coach Eastan brings that to the table, and so that's why I'm excited. I know that that offensive line is just going to continue to do amazing stuff as they do year in and year out and bring in, you know, guys that they're going to be sending in the league every year and whatnot. It's just crazy. Uh, Coach Eastan's great at that. So, Cam McDaniel, we appreciate you joining the Lucky Lefty podcast. Yeah, man. It, is, Loved a, it. it is, has, has been a pleasure for yeah. me professionally right. and just personally to sit and have this conversation with you today. Have to watch this one, man. Yeah, we hope to have you back <laughs> very soon. LL Nation is always already tapping in saying, yo, have him weekly. We need Cam weekly. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Enjoyed the conversation, and uh, we're definitely gonna stay connected to you, man, and return of blessings and to you and your family and to your uh, technology technologies company and everything you're doing because it has a, a greater purpose. I think people need to recognize that, you know, more yeah. than anything, it has a bigger purpose, and hopefully that purpose will be recognized by others and they can be yeah. blessed. By it. Yeah. That's real. No, I appreciate you, man. And Malik, I, yeah, I just want to encourage you, bro. Like with, I love what the community that you're creating here first and foremost, like wouldn't be on here if I didn't love that community and love you and just what you represent. And dude, just want to keep encouraging you as you're having these conversations around these topics that like need to be talked about right now. Just like, I would love to continue that dialogue with you on just really pushing for the create, like celebrating of, um, uh, athlete, like in sports being celebrated as a creative art form, man, like that, that, that's the stuff that, you know, I know for Notre Dame, like wanting to win a national championship, like these are the things like the, the, the consciousness that we have to, um, and the philosophy that we really got to bring to the overall organization to where everything becomes streamlined at that point, you begin to know what you want to do, you know, psychologically, like with your team, you, you kind of have that like concept of what you want to instill tactically, technically, uh, all the perspective on therapy and all the stuff that we talked about. So, um, yeah, man, fun show, like love the topics that you guys bring up. So it's been awesome. Thanks. Man. All right. As always, subscribe, share, like, let us know that you like the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Cam, we'll tap in with you soon. Thanks, Sean. All right. Thanks, Cam. Yo, that was Cam McDaniel, former Notre Dame running back right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. That was, man, that conversation, top notch. Top notch. Yeah, top notch, man. We it's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty story? Petty Junction. Petty Junction, each and every day, pettiest stories of the day. And I have to nominate, because I thought they were fronting on the Buffalo Bills in the press conference, man. You know, like, yeah, you know, we just switched up the play, just made up a play at the line of scrimmage in the huddle. Hey, when I'm you win, you can talk that stuff like that. That's so disrespectful to Leslie Frazier. Frazier. You up in the sand, what a big deal. That's crazy. But you know, it's it's only petty because it's only petty because the defense did exactly what we all knew they shouldn't do. Right. They played off, they acted like they didn't have to get a field goal and they were protecting the end zone. And it's just just panicked at the the wrong moment. So on top of that pettiness, man, I have to throw dude, 50 cent, man. Look. This dude has to stop, man. Leave Tierra Marie alone. We put him on a petty train for this over a week ago, and he he's still tweeting about this young lady. 
still. I don't understand, dude. Let the young lady live, man. 50's gonna keep going until he gets his money, man. You know? He needs some more money to keep writing for that show. <laughs> and I'm a, I have to put Kanye West on the petty line. That's my guy. Look, man, leave Pete Davidson alone, man. Why? Because if you're really that dude, you're not worried about Pete Davidson, man. Nah, Pete Davidson was, was lurking in the bushes the whole time. That's the problem. Dude. Well, let me stop. I was about to say something. Pete Davidson wasn't the only one in the bushes, dog. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's be real. Like, stop. Leave Pete Davidson alone, man. He's harmless. He can't battle you back. Maybe he can do a skit about you on SNL. Maybe. You know say? He said, man, I survived that crash. You know. Come on, Pete. But, dude, he got a snuff Pete? For what? For what? Mm-hmm. Pete know better, because Pete just know. If I'm gay, I'm like, dude, you do whatever. I got the keys. I got the keys to the crib. I walk up in there when I get ready. <laughs> and that's, that's being a boss if you get I still got the keys and the remote. I walk in there when I get ready. And I'm not just coming through to see my kids. Nah, I'm leaving or something. Right, right. <laughs> Like, man, you taking time out to diss this dude on wax and all that stuff, man. Yo. And then, you know, Joe Biden, man. Come on, man. <laughs> you calling people out, out of their names as the president? Can't get right, man. Relax, man. Relax. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Just relax, bro. Relax. Just relax, man. Do it too relax. Lucky Lucky Podcast, each and every day, 9 a.m. Don't forget, tomorrow, we spend a different. We got another former running back, another great at Notre Dame, CJ Procise, right here. Right here. That's what we do. We spend a different Lucky Lefty Podcast. We also have somebody commit to next week, next Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, we want to say that one. Yeah, we'll say that one. We'll say we got that another one. Notre Dame great. Tuesday too coming in next Tuesday. So we just keep doing what we do. First round talent, by the way. Yes. Great convo, great content. It's what we do, Lucky Lefty Podcast. With my boy Malik Zaire, I'm Sean Davis. Spin it different today. We'll see you tomorrow morning.